Welcome to the You Are Not A Frog summer replays. Over the summer, I've decided to smoke what I'm selling and take a proper break. So I'm re-releasing some of our earlier podcast episodes, and I think they're perfect for a listen to help you reflect and reset before a busy autumn. We'll post links to the original show notes site where you can find out more. So please take some time to look after you this summer. And we'll be back and raring to go in September with loads of new guests and some old favourites. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. This week, we've got something a bit different for you. A lot of our last episodes have been focusing on the coronavirus crisis and how we can stay resilient and thrive even in really difficult times. This week, I thought we would go back to a recording we made before the COVID hit us. So this is an interview with Ebony Allard. Now, Ebony is a master coach and she runs a very successful coaching community. She's also the author of the book, Misfit to Maven, and she hosts a podcast called Adulting with Ebony. And she has a really interesting take on life. We talk about all sorts of things here, particularly the shoulds we feel as professionals, as health professionals, as very responsible people. A lot of the pressure we put on ourselves comes from within and we're constantly trying to live up to this image of a a perfect professional that, that probably doesn't exist. So we talk about how to listen to ourselves, how to make good choices and how to really thrive in a life that we can create for ourselves. So here's the interview and I hope you enjoy it. So it's really great to have with me on the podcast today, Ebony Allard. Um, Ebony, can you just introduce yourself? Yeah, I guess so. Hi, thanks Hello. for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. It's so brilliant to have you on. I am a coach and I've always been self-employed. So I'm one of those rare species that's completely unemployable. So I've always done my own thing. I host a podcast and I'm really, really passionate about creating and helping other people to live in a way where life and business or life in our career aren't these completely separate things where we just get to be ourselves in all areas of our life all of the time. Wow. I absolutely love that. I think <laughs> I think that will immediately speak to lots of our listeners where we feel that actually we can't really be ourselves at work and then sometimes we can't be ourselves in our lives either. It's really hard. Now, your podcast is called Adulting with Ebony, isn't it? Yeah. I've never come across this term adulting before. What do you mean by adulting? So for me, adulting is about taking responsibility for your reality and choosing to draw a line in the sand kind of beyond 
I'm going to say 18, but it might be 20, it might be 16, this kind of arbitrary age where actually parents have done their job, right? They've done the very best that they could with what they had. And now it's on us. We can either choose to blame our circumstances, blame our parents, blame our upbringing, like all of these external things for where we are, or we can actually just say, you know what, I am responsible for me now. What do I get to do? What do I get to learn? Where are my weaknesses? Like what is not working for me? And how can I take charge? And I don't mean like micromanage your whole life either, but but actually just take responsibility for your experience. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes absolute sense. And a lot of the training that I run is all about taking control and, and taking charge. I think this is a an interesting thing, particularly for my listeners, because I think as a doctor... And I think as a professional working other professions, maybe lawyers and accountants and things, we're often quite disempowered. We often let things happen to us and think we ought to be doing it or we just have to get on with it because of our jobs, which is the opposite of what you just said about taking control for ourselves. I find that so interesting because you're also those those particular professions that you just mentioned come with a level of responsibility right and come with a level of like a weightiness around them and so there is an assumption that you are adults right I don't want to go to a childish doctor I don't Mm -hmm. want to go to a childish accountant I want somebody who has a level of maturity and a level of wisdom um, and is able to be accountable and to often I suppose potentially be quite unemotional about it or at least objective rather than subjective about my experience and so I think it is a really interesting thing to look at where people have been told how to adult because in a way you got like those professions I've never been one but you're given a kind of rule book right and this is the thing that I get most often with adulting is there's no rule book like who why did someone not just tell us how we should be doing it and therein is like the interesting thing because what you, what i'm hearing you say is that actually those professions come with a whole load of shoulds yeah it's interesting this rule book you said things don't come with a rule book and i used to teach at cambridge university teaching medical students a lot and we talked a lot about the hidden curriculum that's everything you learn at university that's not actually written down and i think Yes, our jobs as doctors come with a rule book. We've got this GMC good practice, or I can't even remember what it's called. Yeah, it's all about duties of a doctor. That's what it's called. The duties of a doctor. This is what you must do as a doctor. You know, always put your patient first, maintain integrity, all those sorts of things. They're really obvious things that you would expect from a doctor. I think the hidden curriculum and the hidden rule book is, and you should work all hours God gives you. You don't need to necessarily take responsibility for your own well-being because you need to sacrifice that for other people if someone asks you to do something you should do it because the buck stops with you and you just have this massive amount of responsibility for everybody and everything and it's only you that can save the world I really understand that feeling I spent a lot of my life feeling that way and a lot of the people that I work with are very kind, kind, caring, compassionate humans who have accidentally taken a step into martyrdom where they're being responsible for both sides of the street. 
And I like to think of our relationships as being equal. Like what we actually want is I have a level of responsibility for myself and you have a level of responsibility for yourself. And we meet each other in the middle. And it might be that I have more knowledge than you or you have more knowledge about, about something than me, but that we have equal responsibility to ask for our needs to be met and each equal entitlement for those needs to be met. And what often happens is that one or other will overstep the mark. And I find the kind of work of the drama triangle by Kaufman and that kind of stuff quite interesting in the dynamics, the human dynamics that we create where we need to be needed. And so we overstep into being responsible, not just for our side of the street, but for the other side. And then it can get really, really interesting where you're responsible for the other side, but you forget to take care of yourself, right? Like you'll do all the work about this, you should behave like this, or you shouldn't do that to, to somebody else, but you can't see your own life or your own reality. So we do so much rescuing in that drama triangle. And those of you that don't know the drama triangle, it's one of my absolutely favourite models where you get sort of stuck in this victim mentality and you have the rescuer and you have a persecutor. And yeah, so you're saying that doctors... And, and other people with this martyrdom, we, we, re- we rescue so much that we end up in the victim position ourselves because Absolutely. we've over-rescued and then there's suddenly nobody to look after us, let alone ourselves. Absolutely. And because you're in the drama triangle, then you can have clients who also feel like the victim, which then push you into the persecutor role as the doctor, which you may have experienced where you're like, oh, yeah. no, yeah. So, and ultimately we get to completely opt out of the drama by choosing to be responsible for our own reality and allowing our clients in whatever capacity to be responsible for their own reality as much as they can be. I guess that's hard though when you're dealing with people who are very vulnerable and very needy and who might not have the intellectual capacity to take a lot of control for themselves and certainly some patients like to say to their doctors you are completely responsible for me how do you do that? It's a really interesting one and it's a really big Mm. question you know I actually think it's hugely systemic and that you know we've been operating under a very patriarchal system where it is about taking care of somebody in a way is taking away their power and it can be really disempowering as somebody who is being cared for and so I think that this is a whole conversation that we actually get to have now around you know how do we empower people who perhaps don't have the qualities or the traits that we have previously decided are worthy of being able to take care of themselves that a lot of soft skills and uh, that kind of the more feminine traits like caring and all of that are just as valuable as being able to set rules or discipline or put structures in place you know just being with someone we see that in in hospice care or things like that where just being with someone really is as valuable as medicating at least in my opinion but they have different weighting and we relate to them in different ways that's so true because i think we doctors get very upset when they can't fix problems when they can't fix patients and you know that's why it's so difficult for us to accept when patients you know do eventually get ill and die and everyone dies right so it's going to happen but we haven't fixed that problem but the idea of being there through it and yeah just actually being there not as a rescuer but as a well i say you should change your role to coach rather than a rescuer well yeah absolutely and a witness right like there is so much power in being witnessed sometimes we just want someone to hear us and advocate for us we don't want them to fix us right we've found some level of acceptance for ourselves 
in our situation and we don't we haven't maybe we're not resigned to it maybe there's this place of acceptance rather than resignation and actually what we want is someone to witness our pain or our struggle or understand what we might need and advocate for us but not fix us and that's a very different model of medicine isn't it and you know the current model actually there's statistics that say that that current healthcare can actually only help with 15% of the determinants of health anyway the rest is about your you know where you're living and what your social background is where, where you're working what your family is like all those you know what the, the society is like around you all those sorts of things so we're actually we're on a losing streak anyway if we think we can fix all of that well and you and I have spoken about stress before and I think that this is the key right like sometimes it is absolutely not a magic pill or any kind of allopathic medicine that is going to cure it actually it's taking some time out or sleeping better or eating better or resting better and again those are all of those much more feminine caring nurturing side of adulting right so in my kind of model or my framework around this we've got two energies and i'm not talking gender i'm not talking sex here i'm talking energies we've got our masculine energy and our feminine energy and the masculine energy creates structure and containers and frameworks and boundaries right and that can be really supportive if you think about it like the world's best dad or the most ideal dad of like you know you've got that yes and that no and the kind of really championing for someone all of those things that we think of as quite paternal or you know patriarchal things and then on the much more nurturing on the feminine energy side we've got that just listening and being there witnessing holding space for allowing someone to experiment with curiosity and play and take the time to really go internal and do some introspection and we've seen i you know i um i work with mbit which is multiple brain integration techniques and so there's huge amounts of science that backs up with that we have three brains we've got our head brain our heart brain and our gut brain and so actually allowing people to go in and experience meditation or you know guided facilitation of accessing their whole embodiment and their, this internal wisdom is much softer and much more feminine than we're used to but we're beginning to see the scientific proof and the evidence around how much validation there and there actually is around us needing this kind of support as well yeah that's interesting i think probably traditionally the doctors that i know and looking at thinking about myself we are quite good with the masculine stuff yeah not very good with that feminine caring and nurturing and compassion with ourselves and that's really interesting isn't it because from my perspective you know we can only see what we can see and that is based on our own experience and our own reality and our own framework and potentially you know our own uh, orientation so if we've never experienced something it's very difficult for us to recommend it or to believe that it's it works but most of you have probably experienced the zen like feeling that you got from a moving meditation which you might know as running Right. So I know lots of you that go for a run, right? So you're, but it's actually it's a moving meditation. You're moving your body. You're, fo- you know, focusing on nothing. You're emptying your mind, and you know that you feel better afterwards. And that's a really good example of a much more feminine medicine, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to come back to this thing about control because yeah. I think sort of professionals, high stress jobs, we have control problems. Firstly, we overly take control over stuff we can't control like outcomes and patients and things like that but then we don't take enough control 
for ourselves and the way we live and the way we work or being able to say no and we just overcommit and we just do whatever anyone asks us to because we think we should how does adulting help with that sort of thing the best example i can give you of that is that my friends know that when i say yes they will get a hundred percent of me and when i say no it's not personal it's because i don't have capacity to be a hundred percent there for them and in the beginning there were many people in my life who were kind of hurt by my no right particularly because i was such a yes person for so mm. many years if, you, if someone wanted to see me i was flattered and i would say yes and i would overcommit and overcommit and then burn out and like completely collapse at the end of a month or you know i wasn't even remotely tracking my cycle then and at that point i wouldn't understand i'd be like what's wrong with me and then i'd get my period and be like oh and i just wasn't taking any notice of any of that stuff and now I live my life, so I adult. I know that during the, the kind of height of my cycle, I've got more energy, I've got more capacity, I can commit to things. And I also know that in, in my luteal phase, I just don't, right? It's not a great time for me to go and speak at, a gear, at events. It's not a great time for me to run and you know, work 10 hour days. And so I have created by saying yes and no in a way that feels really aligned and is truthful for me i have created a life where these things there is a little bit of movement and these cycles i learned many years ago that the nine to five life that we are used to seeing was set up around a male cycle because they have their hormonal cycle is a 24-hour cycle and that they peak at, you know that they have this whole thing and that we have a 28-day cycle. I had, my mind was blown and I, I was not in a place. I came from the TV world. I was work, used to working you know, six days a week, sometimes seven, 15, 16-hour days. You know, Trust me when I tell you, I know what it's like to override my entire body and just keep going. And I have created life by tapping into what is true for me and tapping into my values and my beliefs around wanting to show up 100%. And so therefore giving people a clear yes or a clear no and knowing that it's kinder to say no if I can't actually be there fully. I know I talked about all sorts of things in that, I'm sorry. No, that's <laughs> loads, of, loads of stuff, I wanna talk about it all. Let's just talk about values. Yeah. Cause I know you work definitely around people's values. How does that help you adults? So when you understand, so values are the measures that we are using to determine how our life is panning out right? So whether we are using them consciously or not, we are measuring our levels of success with something and they are our values. And so if I can get really clear on what my values are, then I can make decisions that honor those and allow me to feel good. Now, the next layer down from that is our beliefs. If our values are a tabletop, then our beliefs are the legs that hold them up. So once we get clear on what our values are, and they might be things like freedom or connection or community or all of those sorts of things or adventure or challenge, you know, all sorts of things. Then we want to look at the beliefs that we have of how they will get met. Now, an example of that is a lot of people value freedom, but there are two different beliefs that you could have or that you and a partner could have around what freedom is. So freedom might be to one of you owning your house outright, having no mortgage and not owing the bank or anybody anything. And the other person could believe that freedom is never owning a house, being able to travel the world, being able to operate, you know, be completely location independent and never 
uh, being tied down to one place or to the bills involved in running a house. And so we can really clearly see that just having a value isn't enough. We want to understand what the belief is that's supporting that. And then I ask my clients, well, how full or empty is your life of that particular value? And so we might give it a numerical value. So it might say, well, it's three out of 10 right now, actually. Like, great. Well, what would a four or a five out of 10 actually look like? How would you know that you were experiencing more freedom or more connection? And then we can start to get really tangible with the things that we get to say yes to and the things that we get to say no to based on the measures that we were using to determine how our life's turning out. Now, when you do all of those things, all of a sudden you're in congruence with yourself and in alignment with the things that are important to you. And it feels much easier to say yes or no, because you've actually got a framework to lean it against. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so obvious when you talk about it. I, I don't know that it does. Well, it, it sounds really obvious to me. Yeah, it sounds really simple. And simple, yeah. Okay, simple, not maybe obvious. Because if it was obvious, we'd all be doing it, right, wouldn't we? It yeah. seems really simple when you talk about it like that. Yeah. I think the main problem is a lot of us have no idea what our values are. Aha, uh-huh. that's where I step in and help. Right. <laughs> so I've got a series of questions that I can do with that I do with people where I help them elicit their values. And in coaching and most coach trainings, we get taught a value elicitation process. So not just me, most coaches can help. I've actually taken to this to another level where I've simplified it even further because I like things that are simple because I have no memory. And it can be really difficult to remember this huge complex framework, right? So I like to work in threes. I like to work in threes because uh, you know I can always figure out which one's missing. It's not so many to remember. So I've reduced the values that any one person is living by into three core values. And the way that I've done that is that when I started, that was as simple as it got. And over the last five years, I've worked with thousands of people with their value filter and collated the data and found something really, really interesting, which is that we all have this main thing that we are seeking that is also seeking us, which is this top of a triangle, if you like. It's like I call it a value filter or a value triangle. And it's the top one is this thing that we are seeking that is also seeking us. It's the, the kind of, and most, for most of us, it's freedom or oneness or love or something that explains connection to something greater than ourselves. And then we have a more feminine, more compassionate, uh, actually heart brain value, which might be nurture, it might be kindness, it might be, for me, it's wildness, it's actually that uninhibited nature of freedom of, you know, imagine being a little girl running through a garden of flowers, like that for me is my feminine value. And there are lots of things and lots of ways that that shows up now. But it's our yin, it's our moon, it's our healer, it's our ability to receive and it's our diffuse focus. And then on the other side, we all have a value which is actually much more masculine, is much more around courage, it's much more yang, much more warrior, it's very much about penetrative energy or commitment energy, decisive, singular focus. And actually that's to do with our gut brain. And so I go into a process with people where I help them make decisions from those different parts of their body using their different values and these different perspectives in what I call right ratios, because this isn't about balance, as we all know, balance is absolutely impossible in this day and age so it's actually about right ratios and course correcting as we go oh what is it that i need more of in this pie to feel congruent and to feel cohesive and i love the way you've sort of broken it down because i think that thing you said about freedom you know what does freedom mean you're right for one person it's being a, being completely free with their time during the day for another person it's being free to 
eat out whenever they want to because they've got enough money. Yeah. And so what we end up doing is having money as a value. Actually, money's not money's just a tool, isn't it? It's a tool mm -hmm. to achieve what you want to achieve. But I think many of us haven't experienced a time where we are truly free or we have, uh, you know, got this thing or that thing. And so it's really hard for us to know what's missing or lacking. I guess. What I've found from all of these conversations that I've had is that people are looking for some grandiose memory something big and often many many people particularly when they've become numb and detached from overworking and are in that place where their stress uh, hormones have taken over and they're in that you know fight flight freeze response and they're in that place it's really difficult to remember their childhood it's really difficult to remember anything actually because they're so focused on survival but what i find is that we can all find a moment you know you can find that moment where you are sitting between clients or between you know patients and the sun hit your desk in a certain way and you had a cup of tea and you felt like you'd really helped someone that morning. Like, there's a moment, right? And mm. it's my job to help you unpick why. What about that was important? What sense did it give you? And underneath that, that's where we find the value. So using values to find out, you know, what success looks like to you is a big part of adulting anything else and then being able to create more of that right so essentially we are reverse engineering when in your life have you felt good when have you felt happy when have you felt proud when have you felt satisfied when have you felt fulfilled and then we're going to find the ingredients for that we're going to reverse engineer and go well what specifically about those moments was it that had you feeling that way cool now how can we create more of those moments in your life now mm. because I think what often happens to people is that they let's put this in a context that's relatable people often think that they want to lose like four dress sizes right and that's kind of you know four stone or something and, and that's too big and I don't know how and like it's just it's overwhelming so mm. too much there's nothing tangible I can hold on to and so I give up because it's too big and so the idea of having a whole day off a week where you just do nothing, that's the equivalent of four dress sizes, right? Like it's too yes. big. Yes. yes. But let's break it down into small moments. Yeah. Right? So if I was actually focused on let's drink more water for the next two weeks or every time I'm feeling like let's not eat in front of the TV or at my desk when I'm not focusing on my food and making that the only thing so that everything in my body can kick in and actually digest, right? And it's the same thing, right? I'm going to give myself a lunch break. That's all I'm going to do today. I'm going to give my, it's going to be 20 minutes. And in that 20 minutes, I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm going to turn, I'm going to lock the door. I'm going to have 20 minutes without anything for me. That's how we start. Yeah. So really small steps, small changes. Up-level yeah. and upgrade, tiny thing a day or a tiny thing a week. And it's those changes. And, and then we, so we implement the change, then we stabilize it, and we add in another one. And if you can continue adding and incrementally upgrading, a lot can happen in a year. And I tell you what, my life 10 years ago compared to my life now is entirely different. And so many people look at me now and go, oh, you're so lucky. But I was in exactly the same position as them, mm. if not worse, 10 years ago. All I did was make incremental changes, commitments to myself, and developed my self-confidence by following through on the promises I made to myself. Yeah. And so what changes were the most difficult for you to make? Saying no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I really struggled with saying no to people. I really struggled with taking time off. I'll give you an example, actually. I don't get to my desk till 10 o'clock now. But making that decision 
was one of the hardest decisions. And I know it sounds silly, but I used to think people would think I was unprofessional. They would think that I was lazy. They would think I had no time for them. There were all sorts of things that went through my head. And the truth is that because I don't get to my desk until 10, I can make sure that I've eaten breakfast, that I've set myself up for the day, that I've got a lunch plan, that I've been for a walk, that I've done my mindset work. And that means that I'm so much more present in the time that I've got available for the day. But it was terrifying when I put it in, into yeah. place. Yeah. Now that example is, is really fascinating because I think we have this mindset, particularly in general practice, that we have to do surgeries at set times of the day and they have to be from, and if we're not seen to be starting at eight o'clock or eight 30, we're really lazy. But actually in this day and age, things are changing. Open times changes. What, what if for somebody starting at 10 and working till one was going to be much better for them. But the thing that holds us back time and time again is what are other people going to think of us? Yeah, I hear you. I really hear you. I am, um, my partner's the complete opposite. So the person I, I work with the most and, and live with often really likes to start work early and likes and has a complete cutoff in the evening so it reaches a part a certain part of the day and they don't do any work the phone goes off completely right i work late i'm often still working late but i have a hard and fast rule about the 10 a.m start because otherwise like I'm a lie in bed and answer my emails from bed kind of a person. And then I'm already, you know, if, if I don't take control of it, I let my phone and therefore everybody else's agenda rule my day. It's a non-negotiable for me anymore. Yeah. And I like that non-negotiable. One of the things when I teach about sleep, the, the main thing I say is do not have your phone in the bedroom <laughs> or your laptop. <laughs> so or hard. It's so hard. I get it. I really get it. Yeah. Yeah, because you get up and but, but that is parenting ourselves, right? That is adulting. Mm. You wouldn't let your child take their phone to bed, yeah. right? We, we find it much, much easier to have rules that are from a place of love for our children or our imaginary children. We can imagine doing it, right? All I'm saying and all I'm suggesting that adulting is, is being your own best parent. Yeah. So let's go back to this fear of what other people think because I think that's one of the hardest things to get over. How, how did you get over that eventually? Have you got over it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely have. And I'm yeah. trying, I feel like to start with, it was gritting my teeth and doing it anyway. Okay. Right. For me, it really started from a place of, I'd got myself into such a mess that I already was all the things that I was scared of, right? Like I was embarrassed that people thought I was stupid and that I was lazy and that I you know, had no grasp on reality and like all of those things. I, I, I got myself into a complete state of burnout and breakdown. And so actually my, my pride had already been dented. My, you know, all of those things, my ego was hurt. And I feel like there's just no need for anybody to get themselves into that place. Looking a little bit silly so that in the short term, so that you can have longer term gains and rewards. We know it makes sense. We'd, we'd suggest it to anybody else. And the other thing is nothing is ever as bad as you think it is. And everybody else has all got their own stuff going on, right? I was just thinking that. I was thinking, you know, if people did ask to start the surgery late, yes, yeah, some people might look at them and go, oh, why are they doing that? But if they judge them, it's probably because they're a bit jealous that they didn't, they didn't Absolutely. Do. That is all the judgment stuff. When I first went yeah. freelance, I remember years ago, I remember a friend comment, like a friend of mine who was also freelance had put that he was sitting on a beach in Brighton on a lovely sunny day in the summer. And so many people were like, it was all right for you, part timer. And I was so like, wow, that is the expression. That is like the thing that people want to say. And the truth is, it's like, yes, 
<laughs> I created this. Like yeah. it is, it is only from a place of jealousy or, or like, wow, like you can, you can do that. And I think it's really important to understand that we're role models. Like if you are in a position of authority, if you are in a position where people look up to you, then you really get to model to them what self-care looks like. You might be embarrassed about what other people think, but let's look at the hypocrisy, right? You're telling people to eat well, you're telling people to rest, you're telling, like, model it. Don't just tell them, show them. Yeah, yeah. So if you're a GP or a consultant skipping lunch to get to your clinics, that's really bad. What are you saying to the, the nurses around you, everyone who works in the hospital and your, and your patients? Particularly if you're kind of at the top of the food chain, right? There are genuinely people looking at you and you may not mm. feel like you are at the top of the food chain or that you're important. You're just yeah. in survival mode getting through your day. But there are people looking at you for the line on what is, what is appropriate and what is allowed. And so you get to model that and you get to be the change that you want to see in the workplace and in your life. Yeah. And I've definitely experienced that when I've been doing some sort of training with lawyers. They say, you know, there's quite a few partners that um, and I know a lot of law firms have real problems retaining women they, who often say, actually, I don't want to work like this. But some of the partners are working so hard and, and have this appearance of being Superman, Superwoman, mm. whatever. But actually underneath it, all their legs are going like that. And they're actually pretty miserable having a very, you know, difficult time. But that's not being seen by the people coming up, coming well, up. And it's really unhelpful. It's really unhelpful. And we're at this incredible point in history where things are changing. And I really believe it may sound a bit grandiose, but I really believe that we get to choose which side of history we want to be on. And choosing a side of history where we get to take care of ourselves and each other is the side that I want to be on. Yeah. And you're right, it's changing. You know, there are some great law firms around me where they're really championing a good work-life balance and that it's not all about working every hour that God sends. Well, here's the deal. Like, life is 24-7 now, but no one can work 24-7. So, and, and nor should they. And no one is, we weren't built like that. So we could, we can shift work it, right? We can work on different time zones. We can work to fit different people's schedules we can co-parent we can split jobs we can flexi work there's all sorts of ideas that are available we just need to give it a go and if we were less focused on expectation of getting it right the first time and we're more willing and more able to come at something with an orientation of curiosity and playfulness and like oh let's experiment because not like it probably sounds really naive but none of the medicines that we use today were discovered the first time they weren't perfect, right? They were all an experiment to start with. Yeah. And so the only way we're going to find new models that work, the only way that we're going to find new systems and structures that work is to experiment and, and figure out and get some feedback and keep going until we find something that works. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because often we think, right, I've got to change something. I've changed something in my life and it won't work and we get really disheartened. If we look on that as, oh, that was an experiment as to should I do this or should I do that? And, and even with different ways of working, experiment with different start times with different patterns maybe maybe you are really good I'm definitely not a morning person so I could never do this but actually maybe starting at seven o'clock in the morning or really early is gonna I've got a client work. who gets up at 5 30 every morning and oh. gets all of her work and her emails done before her children are awake and then and loves it but she's an early night kind of person right mm. and when the kids go to bed that's her that's done and I genuinely believe that if you like we're all built and made differently and that's so that we can all work together because if we all were the same it wouldn't work 
Yeah, absolutely. But what you say about experimenting, and if that doesn't work, that's great. What you've done, you've learned a way in which you don't want to work. So try something else and try something else. And, and many of us just work in very traditional environments that don't allow you to experiment. So what, what would you say to someone who finds himself in a very traditional environment and the story in their head is, well, they won't let me, nothing's going to change. What would you say to that person? Does that thought empower you or limit you? You know, you won't know. And is it an assumption or is it a fact? Yeah, is it actually true? Yeah, Yeah. that's the first place to start. There's so many things that we think are are immovable and are absolute fact and they're not. They're just a story that we have. And so I would absolutely fact check and go and find that out. And also this may be too much for some people because I know that I'm more less risk averse than other people I am an ask for forgiveness rather than an ask for permission kind of a person right so I totally believe that you try something and if you know if someone's upset by it apologize and ask what about it specifically upset them and look to make amends and find a new way forward and if nothing is changing then be the change maker and the only way things change is by breaking rules and realize that sometimes when people are upset it's not because you've done the wrong thing it's because they wish they'd done it themselves yeah or it was a surprise right like that's the other thing so if we've been mulling something over for weeks and thinking about it and kind of trialing it and coming up with a plan and like doing all this thing and then it's a complete surprise for somebody else let's get really clear on the difference between a reaction and a response so allow someone to react and then allow them to have a response because if i get some very shocking news i'm going to have a reaction and then i'll digest and actually have a response and it's the response that is the adult part right like anything new is scary for us we've got limbic systems that get terrified by all sorts of things yeah yeah, absolutely i think that is such a good point because you know i talk a lot to people about you know recognizing when they're you know their amygdalas hijack them and they get this fight flight or freeze response but actually you have to recognize that other people are doing that to you and it doesn't mean that you what you've done is wrong it means just that they've been threatened in some way yeah so let's give people space to have that right let's be the adult in that and go oh yes this the causality of this like what's going to happen okay this is going to happen and then this is going to be the consequence and reaction let's like let's be ready for it and let's give them space to have that wow wise words Ebony what sort of three main tips would you give to anyone who's thinking oh you know I need a bit of this adulting in my life what would you suggest they do so become aware and become like by that is it's becoming curious like look at everything that's going on around you or in your life like is this what is working what isn't working without judgment just an assessment right Mm. and then get clear on what you actually want your kind of aspiration like what is it that you would want instead whether or not you deem it remotely possible what are the needs that need to be met and what are the desires that you so there's difference there between your needs and your desires so there's kind of a bottom line I work a lot with batners so what's the best alternative to a negotiated agreement I love love a good batner (laughs) so but we often only use batners in like business things yes yes. for me let's create batners around you know time off around you know all sorts of things around freedom and space not just money related deals or you know terms of some kind of contract everything is contract in some way So. so what's the best next thing if I don't get exactly what I want yeah and where's the place at which I'm willing to walk away yeah because you're never beholden to anyone you always have a choice yeah and that's the really scary option. That is the really scary option. And when we talk, to, when I talk to people about this, it's like, ooh, <laughs> but that's being an adult, right? Yeah, and it's never as scary as you think. 
there really aren't monsters under the bed. There aren't people in the cupboard trying to get you, right? Like so much of it's in our imagination. And when we bring it out into the daylight and we look at it, it dissipates. Yeah, brilliant. Emily, thank you so much for being on the podcast. That is just, wow, I've got so much to think about there. If people wanted to get in touch with you or find out more about your work, where could they find you? The best place to come is ebonyallard.com. I spell my name with an IE and I'm pretty sure that if you spell it with a Y, you will still find me, but it's ebonyallard.com. I hang out on Instagram a lot. You're very welcome to come and message me there. And please do take a listen to the podcast, Adulting with Ebony. Brilliant. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. So thank you so much. Will you come back again? Because I think there's a lot more we can talk about. Oh, always. Really happy to talk about anything. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good rest of the day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.